Coplin, little baby Coplins, and welcome back to our special week of Wheel of Time show watching extravaganza. This time, we are going over episode three, A Place of Safety, or rather, should we say, A Place of There Is No Safety Anywhere, which is very classic Wheel of Time, let's be honest. This episode was directed by Wayne Yip and written by the Clarkson twins, so we got a change up every two episodes, I believe, so I think this one and the next one should be the same, but we'll see. Lily, what were your initial reactions to this episode overall? Yes. Thank you, Julie. Uh, yes, this is Lily. This is more of a reminder rather than an initial uh, reaction, but I was reminded what Julia told me about what Brandon Sanderson said, who is, of course, the author who finished the Wheel of Time series after Robert Jordan passed away, uh, to think of this show as another turning of the wheel. Remembering that has helped me enjoy uh, this show and this episode specifically so much more. So with that said, same. Reading the books, Perrin was my guy. Love Perrin. In the show, it's Rand. The actor who yes. plays Rand, I'm sorry if I will mispronounce his name, but it's Yasha Stradowski, I think. Stradowski. He is his name in front of me. an incredible Rand. Uh, every yes. episode, he impresses me more. His smile, I cannot handle. It oh. kills me. Can you understand now why all of the girls blush around him yeah i i actually can't really handle like there's a few like very close-up shots of his face and i'm like just put any article of clothing or jewelry on this man's face i will buy it like this is he, i know he used to be a yeah. model but like gorgeous but something i love is he he is perfectly portraying the many layers of rand in the yeah. angry sheep herder the dumb boy the potential chosen one kind of fuck boy he does them all and <laughs> beautiful um and we'll talk about this at the end the ending reveal of Logan was a change i don't know how i feel about it yes we'll talk about mm -hmm. it so we'll talk about it let's get into a place of safety i agree i think rand was really great this episode i love rand and matt's interactions for the entire episode it was so good so such good banter between friends yes. i loved um his line when they were walking in the mountains and it's cold and yeah. matt's trying to swindle rand's jacket from him and rand's like no 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 they'll tell stories about you one day you know you'll be the guy that walked while a little chilly inspiring it was so good i loved that moment so good but then when Rhea, uh, matt immediately is like oh you're funny now that's a new wrinkle yeah just like <laughs> those little moments uh, are make yeah. it so much more believable that they have been lifelong friends and grew up in the same small town yes and they have yeah. such great chemistry no i i I picked that up too. God, I love those moments. Yeah. They were I know. Excellent. I'm going to harp on this for this entire series. Mm -hmm. When the show lets the actors take a second to interact with each other, that is when the show is at its best. It is so good. And like, I don't care about how good the CGI is or like how fantastical and amazing things look like these moments between the characters just ground the series in such a real way and i need more of them please yes <laughs> give me more amazon give us more time god damn it 
All right, here's the sum. And just before we get into it, a little reminder slash warning that both Lily and I have read the first book and we are going to be talking about the show within the context of that. So if you don't want to be spoiled for the ending of the show because you've never read the book before, this this is your warning, essentially. So we're going to talk about some things that we already know is going to happen, alright? So, if you're not comfortable with that, maybe just skip ahead and go back and listen to our episodes with the book or something. There's plenty to listen to. It's all there for you. It's so convenient. There you go, you're welcome. Okay? Alright, here's the sum for you. And again, another sigh aside by me. Um, <laughs> This episode jumps around a lot, so I'm going to try to group things together as best as I can. Alright, here we go. We begin this episode with a flashback to Nynaeve on the night of the Trolloc attack. The Trolloc that yoinked her was dragging her along for what I'm guessing is a late night snack, but luckily for us and for Nynaeve, it can't resist nibbling on its Trolloc friend a little bit. Nynaeve in all her badassery uses this moment to escape and even ends up killing the Trolloc with its own sword knife. Time skip. To where we left off last episode, Nynaeve is using her newly acquired Trolloc weapon to interrogate Lan. She's tracked him all the way from the two rivers. She's tired, she's hungry, and she wants her friends back. Let the vibes beginneth. Not knowing Nynaeve, Lan tries to call her bluff with the sword, which of course goes terribly because Nynaeve literally tries to kill him. This is my favorite scene in this episode. <laughs> so good. The way Lan reacts. Oh, I can't. Okay. Ultimately, Nynaeve agrees to help heal Moraine because she's the only one who can help find the rest of the Emmonsfield starting four. Meanwhile, Rand and Matt are on a leisurely hike in the mountains while Rand practices his yodeling. Egwene can't hear you, bro. They decide to make their way to the White Tower since that's probably where Egwene will go. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Egwene and Perrin are struggling out in the wild. Perrin is literally and figuratively being haunted by the wolves now. We even get another small taste of a ballsy dream, or maybe nightmare is more accurate. Perrin and Egwene run into the Tuathon, the traveling people, and oh boy, if I didn't get the cult vibes in the books, I'm definitely getting them now. The people take Perrin and Egwene in and give them some much-needed sustenance, and that's pretty much where we leave them at the end of this episode. Brand and Matt have made it to an inn at a small mining town called Breen's Spring, where they get serenaded by Tom Marilyn himself, it gives sad acoustic rock vibes. Not quite Eddie Vedder, but oh. like kind of Eddie Vedder. Okay. Am I right? He also yeah. steals Matt's wallet, the scoundrel. Yeah. Now that they're without much money, the boys convince Dana the innkeeper to let them, or rather Rand, work for a room for the night. And here we start to see Matt's personality begins to darken. Uh, if you've read the books, you know why. Rand and Dana have some beers and vibe once he's done lumberjacking for her, but things take a real turn when Rand rejects her kiss. Turns out Dana is a psychopath. You thought they were vibes? Maybe some kissy kiss? Get swerved. Because Dana's gotten the memo from Dark Friend Corporate, mm -hmm. and she needs to trap Rand and Matt. Yes. I'll just steal um, Litley's description from this one. Rand uses his ginger strength to break down the door that he's trapped in. Yeah. 
he and Matt run, but Dana's too smart and catches them again, and as villains are wont to do, she monologues just a bit too long, giving Tom Marilyn enough time to arrive, overhear everything, and put a knife through her neck. Rip, dark friend Dana, we hardly knew ye. The episode ends with Lan, Moraine, and Nynaeve arriving at an Aes Sedai encampment. We're introduced to the Red Aja woman from the very first scene of the first episode. She's Leandrin Sedai, and she's caught the false dragon Loghain. Dun dun dun! To summarize, at the end of the episode, Rand, Matt, and Tom are fleeing Breen Spring because the Fade is on the way. Perrin and Egwene are with the traveling people, and Nynaeve, Moe, and Lan are with the Aes Sedai who have captured Loghain. And that's where we leave it. Quite a doozy of an episode, as always. A lot going on. Why don't we get into our rating before we get into the nitty-gritty of the episode. Lily, what did you rate episode 3, A Place of Safety? Alright, I gave this a 4.0 pitchforks. Four pitchforks. So, as I was telling Julia pre-show, I initially wanted to rate this lower, but again, because... Uh, Brandon Sanderson, my guy, was like, you know what? I actually did like this episode. I like the changes that they made to, you know, expedite the story. Some of them I'm getting used to. Overall, I, mm-hmm. you know, we have momentum. I'm excited for the rest of the series. So this gets a four from me. All right. What about you? Nice. I actually said the same. I also rated it a four out of five pitchforks. Um, I definitely liked this episode more than the first two. The pacing isn't perfect, but it's a lot better still. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we actually get to spend some time to get to know the characters. I will say that's besides Perrin and Egwene. (laughs) I kind of wish they had left them out of this episode because they don't do too much and their scenes really only serve to jump around way too much in the episode there's a lot of scene changes going on and it's because the group is all separated but it's just they could have left it i think and the episode would have felt a little bit more cohesive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but either way besides that i loved dana the dark friend and i thought tom's introduction was pretty true to his character it was really nice to see him on screen for the first time let's start from the beginning nynaeve's escape from the trollocs now There's a featurette uh, uh, for each episode called a look inside, like inside the episode thing. And the showrunner, Rafe Judkins, Mm -hmm. said something like, it was cool to show this scene because it's implied in the books, but it's not really expressed in the Mm. books. And I was like, is this in the books? Because I believe the Trog attack, Nynaeve survives because we get... We get Rand returning with Tam and Nynaeve and Egwene are helping everyone. So Egwene or Nynaeve right, survives. Yeah. So maybe this right. was kind of implied. I know. I'm not really sure what he means by that. I I haven't seen any of the inside the episodes okay. actually at all. Okay. Maybe he was implying that Nynaeve like kills a Trolloc or something also in the books. Yeah. I don't know. Because I'm assuming that she was in the town the whole time. Right when that happened on winter night because she's uh just healing people by the time rand shows up again right doesn't give much time for her to leave and come back you know right and and based on the entire sequence uh so she's being pulled by her braid which was intense and then as julia said in the summary the trollocs sort of abandons her because he's like they're they're like "Ah, i'd rather just (laughs) eat this trolloc this is easier right in front of my face intestines (sighs) 
so many eating intestine scenes in this episode that yeah no thank you uh but Nynaeve is able to run away to the women's circle so she's clearly not that far away from right from the city uh something some other tidbit that I want to mention from the look inside featurette um so Rafe Junkins mentioned that the actor who plays Nynaeve Zoe Robbins she was actually out running the camera the camera crew on this running track that films her as she's Damn. running she was out running it and had to be told multiple times that she was too <laughs> fast oh my god yeah and and rape judkins pointed out that the camera crew told him this and they said out of every actor we've worked with with this no one has ever outrun this no one damn Oh, she's fit. So go back and watch the intro, anyone who's listening to this, because you'll notice yeah. she's she's getting so close. It's it's really mm-hmm. cool. Uh, because you know, a lot of <laughs> a lot of times, you know, these are where stunt doubles are used, but that's all her. It's so yeah. badass. Yeah. She goes full terminator. She's full like, terminator. I gotta get to my friends. She's uh, perfect for this. Something else I wanna mention about this scene, a couple more things because I thought this was just beautifully shot and everything i thought the prosthetics plus the cgi design of the trollic were Mm -hmm. very well done i agree i thought it was creepy uh but scary and still very like you know beast-like domineering when the Mm -hmm. when the trollic's like um, spearing into the pool and i need is hiding in the whole scene of her but the two human face yeah the human face like the right the very expressive face but it has hooves like really Mm -hmm. uh captures that well um I love the choice they made to make the actual fight scene underneath the water. So all you see is the pool of blood. I thought that was beautiful. Right. Something else I want to point out, and Julia, this is why I sent you the picture right beforehand. As the blood is pooling up, it actually is in yes. is in the dragon's fang, like Aes Sedai symbol, yes. that teardrop. So if yep. you... If you rewatch it, audience, and uh, see that, I just thought that was a that was a beautiful. I don't know, intentional or not. Oh, I'm sure it is. I think this show has a lot of Easter eggs for book readers, for sure. That's like the one thing you can tell. Right. So it's it's like a little nod to, you know, who Nynaeve is, but it's just it's just beautifully shot, beautiful. And yeah, she gets up, fucking hair flip, cool as hell. Oh, I love that hair flip. That was iconic when they were releasing like teaser trailers for this before the show came out. Oh, that hair flip took over Twitter of time. Oh, God, it just whips it back. I I loved it. And she's like, you know, heavy breathing. Like clearly she Mm -hmm. went through a lot to kill this thing, right? And oh, beautiful. So as Julia said, we times get back to... um, back to the present day as she's holding the knife at Lan's throat. And so... As Julia said, this episode jumps around a lot. So how we're going to format this is in the three groups that are separated. So we're going to start with Nynaeve, Lan, and Moraine, talk through their entire story, and then we're going to do Perrin and Egwene, and then we're going to end with Rand, Matt, and Tom Gleeman. Okay, so let's start with uh, where we left off, Nynaeve, Lan, (laughs) I said Nynaeve, Lan, and a dying Mo. Isn't that a movie? I don't know. <laughs> She's not doing great. She's just literally sleeping this whole episode. <laughs> she really is. But uh, because of that, some vibes are able to uh, grow between oh, yeah. between the two. Cannot wait. Uh, Lan is like, hey, you know, you need to help Moraine because you're the only healer or your wisdom. And so with some convincing, 
there, you know, <laughs> Nynaeve, mm-hmm. Nynaeve agrees. And, oh, the wound is disgusting at this point. She's, like, it's so pushing gross. up pus. Oh it's, like, green this and slimy. Like, with things that disgust me, I don't know what it is with this. I know it's real life that <laughs> uh-huh. this is what it looks like and stuff. Yeah. But, like, can you not? I'm sorry. But also do because it's real. I don't know. I, I don't like it. I look away. Yeah, exactly. A- appreciate it. But holy shit, is it gross. And I thought it was cool because as Nynaeve is treating Moraine, she kind of turns to Lan because Lan is like in tears, right? And Nynaeve yeah. says, you know, I, I, I've heard of this bond between Aes Sedai and her warder. You feel what she feels. And I can't remember mm-hmm. if that's a line from the book, but I love that line because I think it really helps the audience understand that or, you know, to further understand their intense bond, right? It's not just like Land yes. is so concerned for her. He is feeling the pain as well. No, there's a couple moments of world building in this episode that you don't get in the first book of mm-hmm. the series. That they, they come later, but we haven't really talked about it yet. And it's not spoilery like this. It's just... Right information for you to understand a little bit more and i really yeah. love those moments no it was it was very cool and uh as all this is happening i i have to point out Nynaeve's Nynaeve has these awesome earrings the jewelry in this is great i'll talk about this with dana's jewelry too really cool mm. uh earrings and um like septum piercings they just look so awesome and she has this uh, Nynaeve has this awesome green coat i love it for her yeah. character it's just they're just beautiful designs so Nynaeve is continuing uh, to heal Moraine, and then Lan rides off to scout. This confuses me. He He's scouting something or some place. He's looking for the Aes Sedai encampment, pretty much, because okay. that is, once he scouts and comes back, uh, the next scene with them is them arriving at with the Aes Sedai. So he went to go look for them for help, because the only thing that's really going to save Moraine at this point is someone, capital H, healing her. Nynaeve can help a little bit and mm. she'll Maureen probably wouldn't have survived right. if Nynaeve wasn't helping her but it's not enough to actually save her. The reason I'm a little confused is this isn't really uh, in the books this Aes Sedai encampment so I was just confused as to where it is. This is it is in the books but we never got there so this oh, is okay. the start of like kind of an offshoot where we just get to see what those Aes Sedai who in Eye of the World went down to go capture Loghain, oh. what they were doing when they're coming back with him now. I like, see, okay. Because we're, we're, we're coming upon them as they're traveling up to the White Tower and kind of parading him around. Okay, all right, That thank you for that. Because I was just a bit confused about locationally where... Yeah, I mean, who knows? They're They're all in so many different spots right. in this episode and right. it's another kind of pet peeve of mine where mm. it's so hard to do because the eye of the world is just them traveling constantly yeah exactly but it can be really confusing for new viewers mm-hmm. who don't get that stable location at all in in the first season at all so it's like where are we i wish there was kind of like a map or something here we go with the maps again well or just some some idea of like how far apart each group is you know and like where are they gonna eventually meet up but regardless uh you get moraine uh whispering something about suan no idea what that means. Maybe that's oh, something yes. later. I only know that because of the subtitle. I would have no idea mm-hmm. what she actually says. Mm-hmm. So she whispers that. Do you know, have we heard that name in Eye of the World at all? I do not know what that is. I personally okay. don't. 
right, so cool. we'll leave it there then. Okay. Um, and as we kind of already touched on, uh, the last part of their journey is they, as Nynaeve said, they have been traveling three hours uh, south in directionally going southwest, and they meet Leandrin. She tells them, "Hey, we captured a man calling himself the Dragon Reborn. <laughs> it's Loghain." And then, just like how it's described in the book, with Loghain staring uh, at the crowd in Keemlin, mm-hmm. he does this thing staring at um, Moraine. And Moraine's look is very much like of fear and concern and confusion. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually the end of the episode. That's how the episode ends. So I am excited to learn more about Loghain. I am still sort of like on the fence about how I feel about his introduction, but... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm okay with it. Like Julia said, this is just sort of mm-hmm. filling in a gap from the books that we didn't really get to see. So, yes, it is what yeah. It is. So I'll say, as someone who's read the entire series and also watched the entire first season, um, what they're doing with Loghain right now in the show is just kind of expanding his character role okay. a little bit because it's very minimal in the first book, right? Uh, and we just pretty much only see him from afar from Rand's point of view and that's right. all we get otherwise it's just rumors about him uh-huh and this will just kind of it it serves as a really great way to introduce the idea of false dragons and mm. why people are so scared of them in this world and why people kind of hate them but why people might also follow them like they yeah. did with Loghain so uh, I personally really like it. I'm excited to okay. to see see the scenes moving forward. Also, the actor is oh, to- literally top tier. I cannot believe they got him. It's he's amazing. I cannot wait because this episode he has no speaking lines, but the psycho mm-hmm. stare that was enough for me. I'm oh like, yeah, Holy yeah, shit, he's got I want it. This. He's also got fabulous hair. Oh, I can't wait, can't wait for that. Uh, for uh, next episode. The only thing I want to point out, which okay. is my favorite scene in the show, purely just for laughs, is when Nynaeve is holding Lan at, like, sword point or whatever you uh-huh. want to call it. And Lan is walking into the sword being like, we all know you're not going <laughs> to kill me. And Nynaeve immediately goes into, like, stabbing his neck, which, first of all, I've never seen someone try to stab the neck straight on. Like, it's usually a slash. She just went straight for it. Uh, and Lan's reaction, he goes, ooh, you actually tried to kill me. And it's just like, that that's the start of the vibes right there. Absolutely. There it is. Absolutely. Yeah, no, the vibe started. Well, I think the vibe started when he was turning his head on the knife side of his throat. And he's like, how yeah. did you track me? <laughs> yeah, he's like, how did you know this is my fetish? Yeah. <laughs> A knife to the throat. Oh, God. Yeah, though, it's true. The vibes... We're there from the start. And I think the show is probably pretty interested in making that a little bit more obvious than the books did. Uh, even though I picked yeah. it up in both spots, just saying. Next group uh, we'll talk about is Perrin and Egwene and Wolves and the Traveling People. Hello. So, oh, yeah. as Julia said, they're really just scenes to kind of intersperse between the Rand storyline and the Moraine and Lana Nynaeve storyline. So I'll just go through some of the points. So you get uh, Egwene channeling. Uh, she channels yes, a fire for them. And Perrin kind of makes a little a little jokey joke. Can you channel us some food and water? So it's it's cute. Keeping the vibes up. Yeah, they have some cute, like, uh, sweet, you know, Emmonsfield 
moments and you know Perrin sort of snuggles with her and like they comfort each other and make sure you know both of them are safe uh the wolf mm-hmm. presence in their storyline as i described it is the wolves are always there and present howling is always happening in the distance and there's a scene where the wolves are chasing them but later parents like it's almost like the wolves led us to this mm-hmm. track because they were sort of wandering aimlessly through this the gorgeous yeah. Prague uh landscapes uh. So eventually they come upon tracks and at first you know parents like let's keep our distance we're not sure if these are traitors they could be white cloaks we're not sure let's keep our distance so eventually they run into the traveling people and as much yes. as i hated this group in the books i actually like in the show i kind of accepted it really okay well and let me tell you why and this will be a kind of an odd reference so uh, I used to nanny uh, for a family I absolutely loved. And the portrayal of Rayan and Ela is exactly like the parents of the family that I nannied for. And so that immediately just gave me this like kinship oh, and wow. like lovingness okay. to, to them. Because yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is Matthew and Erica. And they're like so sweet and loving. And for some reason, yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm in. I kind of love the the intro of the traveling people. Do you know I'm so? Oh my god. I I have something to say about that. Okay, it was, like we'll get it into it. It was weird, but it was fitting and then we'll discuss this, but Aram or Aram, apparently it's Aram oh, yeah. or Aram. Whatever. I have a lot of regrets about the way we pronounce it's, his name. Well, eh, but it was accurate to the book glossary. It was yeah. So, he he's the one that kind of like saves them and then they get absorbed into the traveling people and I I don't know, I kind of like the portrayal like it showed the community, all the little taverns, and their the kindness. Uh, I'm surprised mm-hmm. that I, I like this portrayal. Wow, I said previous I'm also surprised. That I didn't want to see them. But I even like uh, Aram. So far, I like him. Because he's not creepy yet, but I, I liked his portrayal. Yeah, I'm actually pretty surprised that that's your take on them. Because I kind of had the opposite, honestly. I had no problem with them in the books. I thought they felt so wholesome and adorable and it was fun because they're just, they love to dance and all they are looking for is the song and stuff. And it's, it's happy. Everyone seems smiley. Like Perrin notes in the book that they always seem on the point of dancing, even when they're just walking around. And that to me that like portrays a really just happy family. And I could get the culty vibes that you were, you were bringing up and I can see where you were coming from, but their introduction in the show is ultimate cult vibes. They literally come out of the fog being like, do you know the song? Do you know the song? And they won't respond to them until they were res- like, until Egwene and Perrin give the correct answer and Arm has to go explain it to them. It's like, well, that, <laughs> it's just like, what a human acts like that and like literally does not respond to you until you give the correct like, key or something i thought that was really funny it's honestly more comical than anything else but like thinking about it they are kind of culty in a way they're just traveling around they're like dead set on this thing called the song that who knows if that exists or something and they're all about just non-violence so i guess it really fits but it, it definitely shocked me on the first watch through i think i laughed out loud when they were coming out of the fog I can see it. I, but that's why I thought it was fitting, because I'm like, 
this is they are weird and don't really get the social cues so like i think this is actually like works <laughs> i don't know right no i get i get why you just understood it right away and uh-huh. it took me a second to kind of get accustomed to it um arum i agree is not as angsty teen boy in love with Egwene as he is in the books and that's not well not yet we haven't seen them too much honestly no but you know, the only one to try to talk to them like they're human at first. Yeah. So that's nice. But it's, you know, we don't see too much of them in this episode. But the intro, I just can't, I can't not talk about that at first. <laughs> so the other thing we want to mention with the uh, Perrin Egwene uh, storyline is we do get a ballsy dream, as Julia mentioned, with yeah. Perrin. And basically the rundown with this is it looks like Perrin is at his home in Emmonsfield. You see the forge. He's sort of wandering around. He's calling out to Layla. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of moves around the forge. And you you see these, like, um, one second or even, like, half a second uh, images of Ballsy. Yeah. Did you notice, did you catch Ballsy in the window behind Perrin? No! Oh, I have to watch yeah. it again. Damn. Yeah, it's so creepy. It's, like, lightning flashes, and then you just see this dark figure with the, the red eyes and stuff. I... Definitely that dream did a good job of, like, making it obvious that it is a dream, so you're not confused about, like, where he is, why he's back at home. Yeah. Uh, And you can kind of get, like, a really good sense of his beginning struggles with the wolves Mm -hmm. and kind of trying to rectify that with who he is. And that's, we see that as the wolf eating Layla, um, which is real rough. And again, another intestine chomping scene it's uh pretty brutal the subtitle literally said crunching and i was like uh no no layla very in a very dreamlike creepy way layla turns with her like dead milky eyes and says i know and i wonder and i'm gonna bring mm. this up too i wonder if that was a reference to i know that you killed me and not the trollocs or is the i know in reference to something we don't even know about yet with their relationship because we also get an Egwene moment with Perrin saying, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault. Yeah. It is my fault. No, it's not your fault. And so I don't think that Perrin would have told Egwene the truth about what happened there. Mm-hmm. But Layla knows. Yeah. No, I'm not really sure what it's referring to at this point, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe we'll be able to suss it out down the line. Yeah, I would love to get more uh, Layla info. I was I was hoping for that from from episode one since we spent so little time with her, but there was still some so something deep going on with her uh, and mm-hmm. relationship with Definitely. Perrin. Yeah, let's get into the nitty gritty of episode three. Rand and Matt make it to Breen's spring Mm. and a lot of stuff goes on of course things never go well for them no now Breen's spring julia is this in the book or is this made up for the show i forget if there is a reference to a town that they never travel to in the book called Breen's spring or if it's just something that was made up as kind of like the mining town it's in my opinion a substitute for Berylon in a way, because Berylon is the mining town in Eye of the World. Okay. So it's kind of like that. And like you mentioned in your notes, I saw that the inn's name is the Four Kings, which is a reference to, you know, that uh, faded in in yeah. the book when Rand and Matt are traveling on their own. So we kind of get the core 
of the story for them here, whereas they're alone at this point. The only person that's with them is Tom Marilyn, right. who's kind of uh, like a, a strange gleeman, let's say. He's not the usual. No, and before we get into the description, I will say the only reason I even picked up the Four Kings because of this look inside the episode, Rafe Judkins was basically saying how... Mm they were consolidating a lot of the Rand and Matt story into kind of this one town Breen Springs, but he's like, we do have the mm-hmm. nod to the four Kings. And uh, if you right. look as they're entering the pub, you see these four posts with Kings depicting. And I, the, again, only reason oh, I know that that's what that is, so that's the yeah. picture I just sent you. So the only reason right. I know that is because of the look inside. I, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not that good at spotting things. Yeah. So we got gigantic brains on this podcast. We'll catch all of the details. We'll let you guys know what it really means. So that's the uh, pub they enter. Uh, I will mention too, before we meet uh, Dana, uh, the innkeeper and the gleeman, is they pass an Ielman in a gibbet, which was mentioned in the books. That's this ah. the, the cage the cage thing that holds the human body. Right. The Ielman is full of arrows. And also the camera zooms yes. in on this pinkish purplish stone that Matt sees. And it's at the waist of the Ayoman. So I didn't really know what that was or a reference to. So I'm, I just, I'm going to point it out. No, it's it's uh, the first time you've encountered an Ayoman, I'll okay. say. Yes. Because we yeah. haven't seen one in the book at all. So, and obviously this one is dead, unfortunately. But uh, you can get kind of a quick idea of it. We'll get into it more right. when we talk about Matt and Tom mm-hmm. and that whole scene with them with the Ayoman. So Rand and Matt make it into this pub. It's just a, it's your local dive bar filled with miners. They're chilling, having beers. Rand and Matt have next to no money, so they can't have any beers. Sad times. Um, They meet Dana, the innkeeper, who seems real chill at first. I love her wit. She's really funny. Beautiful, and she has the coolest jewelry. Yeah, I I loved her until uh, I didn't. (laughs) <laughs> and then I stand her. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the intro. Dana's like, we'll settle down, boys, because the, here comes the Gleeman. And Tom Marilyn comes walking in. He grabs a guitar, not a flute and a harp mm. like in the book, which I'm okay with. I know some book peers might oh, be really? upset that he doesn't have those items, but eh, it doesn't matter to me that much. It sounded cool. Uh, and he's real moody. He's not like he is in the book at all, but I think the core of his character is the same anyway. Yeah. Tom comes in just like looking like he's had a couple the night before and is a little hungover. He's a little scruffy. And he comes in and sings this like really sad song. Yeah. <laughs> like you said last episode, when people sing in shows, it's just slightly cringy. And that's how I watched yeah. it the first time where I was like, is yeah. he supposed to not be a good singer? I don't, I thought he wasn't that bad. It just, it was, it felt so modern to me. Yeah. That, but at the same time, Wheel of Time World is set after our time. Okay. On the Earth. So there are probably going to be things that transcend into their age from our right. age, right? Right. So right. like him singing kind of a rock acoustic anthem yeah maybe could be like someone from our time singing some really old song that like the ancient greeks sang or something i don't know if they sang but you know you get my point 
I do. I, I yeah, I know. I appreciate that because I, I felt the song was a bit out of place. But you're right. It's like, man, it's just part of it. And then the lyrics are a bit dark. The man who can't forget. And I was like, is this LTT? Because mm. people were crying. Mm-hmm. I, the whole scene, like emotionally, I was like, is this? I was Rand in that scene where Rand was looking around. I was like, is what? What's <laughs> happening? Yeah. Here? Yeah, it's in my opinion, it's definitely about Luz Theron okay. because it's. I wrote down the lyrics. He saw his whole world breaking, that tortured soul I met in a prison of his making, the man who can't forget. So, I mean, Luz Theron, the dragon, is known for breaking the world. I think even one of the lyrics says he caused the whole world's breaking. Yeah. So it just, it has to be him. And it, like, of course, it fits that it's a very sad song, and it's right. all about the man who can't forget what he did, which is kill his entire family because he went insane from the taint. So this this song happens, and I missed this on the first watch through, but there is a skeevy beggar who knocks into Matt, and book readers will know oh, yeah. what I'm alluding to. Oh, okay. See where you're going with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all I really mm-hmm. can say about it, because he just bumps into Matt, yeah, yeah, and then after that is when Tom comes to sit down at the table with Rand and Matt, and turns out that Tom has Matt's wallet, which I think the way I read it was this, the beggar dude stole it from Matt first, and then Tom stole it from the beggar right. dude, and then, you know, lorded it over Matt and was like, here's a tough life lesson. Uh, so not a great first impression to the boys. Not at all. I mean, I... Based on how much I hated this guy, this character in the books, I right, yeah. I was like, oh, no, this fits. He's a dick. And then we get the full scope of him, and it's still very much, like, on the fence. So I, mm-hmm. I'm like, me about him, kind mm-hmm. of. Like, I, the song turned me off. He just is sort of like this smug guy. So I, I'm pretty out on the Gleeman. End of this episode, I'm like, mm. Whatever. Okay, so it's the same. All right, so they kept the core character, you could say, from the book. They really <laughs> did. Yeah, so he steals from Matt, a uh, donation for the Gleeman. And yeah, and Rand and Matt then go up to Dana and are like, hey, we just need, like, I think they say, we'll take a tarp for the night. Uh, and Dana's I know, like, Rand is like so humble about it. Rand, sweet Rand. And then uh, Dana's like, listen, y- you guys can just work. So she sets Rand out to. Chop wood. This is my favorite dialogue from the whole uh, show is Rand is joking with Matt and is like, oh, like Dana's a little young for you. I think Moraine's more your speed. And they're like joking with Mm. her. And then he turns to the logs that they have to chop. And he's like, come on, we'll take turns. And Matt goes, do you think she's up for it? Oh, my God. Rand and Matt in the book could never. They wouldn't have the... (laughs) knowledge it was really great yeah i i also enjoyed that matt's constantly shooting the shit this was probably written in the script but it felt like so like such a modern like dude joke that it felt improvised and i don't know it killed me but anyway right after this matt gets a little of his angie boy energy on it's like you think one of us is the dragon (laughs) reborn really one of us and then gets all pissy and mad and then Rand repeats what Matt's mom said to him, you're a prick. So not a great look for the for the two lovers in paradise, as Dana believes they are. Right, yeah. Dana could not read that situation. She really couldn't. So Matt goes in and he's like, Hey, 
I'll just serve beers. Or he doesn't even offer that. No, he doesn't. Matt goes in and is like, can I have a beer? And Dana's (laughs) like, no, you can work. And Matt's like, but what about a room for the night? And she's like, no, you can work. I I love this moment with Dana where Matt's like, oh, you know, like, I was pretty well off back at home. (laughs) Horse trading and stuff. And Dana's like, oh, great. Guys, we have a horse trader. He's got no horses. Who wants a horse trader with no horses? Well, that was another one of my favorite really subtle Matt moments because once Dana raises her voice and she's like, guys, we have a horse trader. Matt, under his breath, goes, all right. Like, okay. okay." Yeah, Yeah, you just, like, he immediately is like, okay, yep, yep, you fucked up, Matt. So well done. Um, But this scene also provides us a great character moment for our dark friend Dana because this also with her scene with Rand She's going into kind of her backstory, and I'll summarize it like this. From a small town, she never left, dreams of an adventure. Now, is this true? Or is this, like, is it true, and this is the explanation for her becoming a dark friend? Or is Mm -hmm. it just totally made up for her to seem more relatable to Matt and to Rand, who she knows they're probably lying about being from Berlon? So I... I don't know. I feel like she was playing them the whole time. Like the second they walked in, she was playing them. Probably. But I think there's probably also a seed of truth to it. I think Dana uh, is meant to just encapsulate all of the types of dark friends that Rand and Matt encountered in the book because we don't have time to get through all of them or all of the towns and stuff right now. So she's kind of giving that like a naive dark friend of... I just want to go see the world and I can't do that. And so if I join the dark side, then I'll have money and power and fame and I'll have the time to go out and do things like this. She says, like, you know, here, we're born in this dirt. I want to go somewhere Mm -hmm. where no one knows the dirt that you were born in. Right. And so I I think there's probably some truth to that because she is just stuck in a mining town. Any dark friend, and we get this uh, in the books... Uh, with the dark friend reveal that the book readers know what I'm talking about. Like there is an explanation for these people turning into dark friends. Like you're not just born this way. Right. And we get more of it from her evil guy monologue at the end. So that's why I was like, this feels like it's true, but it's also like, you know, is she just trying to get in with these two boys to make them feel comfortable? Because that's ultimately how she gets Rand in the room with her Right. You know, and they're talking yeah. about the wheel. She gets him in the, the nice room. She's joking with him like, oh, you can slap and tickle with uh, your boy, Matt. And <laughs> yeah, lovers quarrel. A great one of my favorite Rand lines. <laughs> if I wanted a man, I could do better. Yes. So good. Oh, I pulled that line, too, because that's <laughs> amazing. It's just like classic one. You get the friend banter where you're just putting down your friend like him no way Two, rand is not afraid to be called or like assumed that he might be into men it's not a problem right now in this world love that and it gives us one of my favorite rand smiling moments okay his scenes with dana them talking and him kind of joking and smirking i so cutesy honestly barely handle it because he is I, I don't know. It was like how I talk about Perrin in the books. I was like, Rand, stop smirking. Oh my God, I can't handle this. Like, <laughs> I know. Gorgeous. Can you blame Dana for going in for that little kissy? Like, No. And like she says, when it's revealed she's a little, little bad girl, she's like, oh, you're so kind. It's going to make this harder. I'm like, yeah, it yeah. is. 
Yeah, I know. Also, love Dana for this. She's like, this would be a lot easier if you just got back on the bed right now. She's like still down to bang. Like, I, I mean... respect it. Theory question. Would Matt, if he was in this situation mm. with Dana, mm-hmm. would he be like, all right, let's just get on the bed? Or do you think he would do what Rand's doing? <laughs> yeah, I think he kind of would get into it a little bit more. See, that's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Matt was into her already. Rand's, you know, Rand's still dedicated to Egwene, of even though of course. they're separated. They've consciously uncoupled. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so before we get into the uh, finale of the episode, we'll talk about uh, the Matt and Gleeman, Tom Gleeman scene. So Matt, uh, after his little tiff with Rand, he comes back out to to the Ayoman in the gibbet looking to steal that jewel. And the Gleeman comes up behind him. He's like, dude, what are you doing? And they kind of have this like intense back and forth. Matt mentions mm-hmm. that he faced a trollic. And so he's not going to be killed by a Gleeman, all this stuff. Eventually that's pretty much diffused. And the Gleeman's like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to bury this guy. Like he was murdered unjustly. And we get some of Ayul uh, backstory, which I really appreciated. So he says, I can tell this is an Ayulman because you don't generally see this color hair anywhere else. Yep. Matt's like, oh, I heard they're no better than Trollocs. And Gleeman's like, not in my stories. Like, they're deadly fighters, yes, but they are honor-bound. You only need to be concerned when they're veiled. And then his quote is, he was murdered by cowards who feared something they didn't understand. And I love this quote because it plays for any level of ignorance uh, that we see today as well. So, Oh, absolutely. You get the backstory of the Ailman. You get a, a peek into who the Gleeman is as well. And I, I, yeah, I really love that scene. And you also get to see Matt also sort of understanding the world outside of him mm-hmm. and, and maybe people His that- horizons are expanding. Yeah, a little bit. And, and even um, Tom Gleeman's like, all right, you're going to steal from this dead guy. Like, we've all had desperate moments. Tell me when you're done. But if you're going to steal from him, you're going to help me bury him. So it's sort of like a right. life lesson moment yeah. for the two of yeah, them. Yeah, no- I love that Tom is still acting as kind of this, like, guiding figure Mm -hmm. for Rand and Matt in that he's like, hey, I'm, like, real. I understand that this is, you must be really desperate to need this. And obviously Matt is at this point because he's probably thinking about his little sisters who are back in the two rivers because he was basically their main caretaker. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm sure he's really worried about them and wants to get back home. But at the same time... Tom is like, hey, like, I get it, but you have to have a bit of a moral compass. Right. So, like, let me give this to you, and I'll guide you through that, and I'll accept that from you, and also here's your money back. But I also loved, this was the other world-building moment that I was referencing earlier in this episode, where I don't think we got it in the first book too much. Like, I think they might reference, like, he fought, like, a veiled Aiel or something, but that... The veil with an Aielman is such an important part okay. to understand with them, where you only need to worry when they are veiled. Got it. If they're not veiled, they're not dangerous to you. And that's pretty much all I'll say about that. Okay. But a really important point that I really love that they brought it up at this point in the show. I like that, too, because, yeah, it played on, on multiple levels. But, yeah, it's something that we are alluding to and didn't mention. But at this point, Matt is like, fuck, Rand, I'm going back to... Mm-hmm. To, to my home but i don't know if that was ever really true so yeah. yeah you get you get sort of this bonding moment because as you said tom gleeman pretty much sussed out 
Matt. It's like, okay, you're from the Two yeah. Rivers. I can tell. I think he says your accent, <laughs> yeah. your dress, and your asinine attitude. That that's what I. Yeah. That's when I. He's got him down to a T. I yeah. loved that. Um, they also kind of hammered that point home of like the people from the Two yes. Rivers are stubborn a bit different, fuck. you might say. <laughs> so. They bury uh, the Ailman, um, which, yeah, sign of respect. Very, very cool moment. And Matt, yeah, how does this happen? Matt kind of runs into Rand as Rand is booking it from Dana, who Dana right. goes full, like, uh, Matrix, oh, like, yeah. psycho oh, running. She, she, she has stole... is the real Terminator oh, for this episode. Truly. Yeah, the Terminator, that's the reference. Ugh, I haven't seen either of those series. Sorry. I've seen bits and pieces. Before we get to that point, though, uh, I just want to talk about the door and mm. Rand. Mm -hmm. Because Dana specifically mentions that she lured him into this room because of that door. It's made of ironwood, and three men of Rand's size couldn't break it down on their own. But he does. Huh. Also, if you've read the books, remember Four Kings. If you've listened to the episode about... After we finished the book and talked about all those things that we missed, this is one of those moments. I'm dancing around the subject because I'm not quite committing to full spoilering everything, but, like, if you know, you know. Oh, okay. I didn't even pick that up, and I do know what yeah. you're talking about. Damn. I love True uh, ginger I love strength. True ginger strength. We love the ginger strength. Yeah, so... Rand breaks down the impossible to break down door. He runs out. Dana's got his sword. Dana's got Tam's motherfucking sword. That is illegal. Not allowed. He somehow runs into Matt while he's running away from Dana. Dana knows the streets of this town much better than they do, though. So she, of course, ends up in front of them while they're in some kind of, like, little courtyard area. And then she goes on her monologue, which... Really, I think this is where the true Dana comes out mm -hmm. a little bit more. I believe everything she's saying here, in yeah. my opinion. And this is where we get the, like, multiple layers of dark friends in the series where, like, some of them are just like, I want to have money and power, and that's cool. Dana's like, first of all, she mentions that one of you five could be it, referring to the Dragon Reborn. That's new. Yeah. She says five, and Matt catches it. Matt's like five. Right. It's just a real quick moment, a throwaway line, but if you catch it, you realize that now the options for the dragon has expanded. Mm -hmm. She says, The last time someone brought the dragon to the Dark One, we still remember his name 3,000 years on, Ishamael. And she wants to be the new Ishamael. She wants to be the one who brings the new dragon to the Dark One because she wants her name to be remembered throughout the ages, just like Ishamael's name is. So that's a motivation. And then she also says, says something that I found interesting because Rand says, why would you want to bring us to the Dark One just so he can kill us? Like, why are you doing this? And she's like, no, he wants you to save us. So there's also this delusional <laughs> level to the dark friends. Yeah. Like the world right. we're living in, it's horrible famine, death, awful. You can save us. Come to the dark side. So it's this weird fantasy that they have that like they're actually right. saving the world. The good guys. Right. But it gives like a legit motivation to them because they're in the real world people aren't just an evil character, right? Like, there's probably something that led them down this path right. to motivate them to do this thing that everyone else views as really evil and horrible to do. But she's like, 
you know, there's famine, there's drought, there's children killing their parents in this world. We right. need to end it. I, I love that her version of saving the world, I'm putting that in air quotes yeah. right now, is just destroying the wheel. It's like breaking the wheel, breaking time itself or something. Like, if it doesn't exist, then the bad things can't happen. And it's like, okay, I guess, I guess that's true. It just sounds like someone who's just been through it and is just like, fuck it. That type of, that type of energy. And yeah, absolutely. But like you said, she, she is a character who's representing a lot of dark friends. So it makes sense that she's like, here are every reason that any dark friend could possibly have from fishermen's to queens. Everyone who serves the dark one, I'm going to be the person who gets the cookie or some shit like that. So yeah. As you said, she does this a bit too long and gets knifed in the throat, and it is shocking. I, not shocking, <laughs> but how it happens, I gasped every time I yeah. see that, where I'm like, oh. Yeah. Oh, God. Because, yeah, blood's yeah. pulling. Now, Tom's got some skills with the knife. So that's consistent from the books. So he's like, you know, because right before this happened, Dana said, hi, I just called one of the eyeless a fade, a murderer. Oh, yeah. And Tom Gleeman's like, hey, uh, you can come with me east or you can hang out with the fade. Which one? And they make the decision quickly. Goodbye. We're going east. Yeah, I love Matt turns to Rand. East? East is good. East is good. <laughs> so, right, yeah. And that, that, I agree. It. Let's not party with the fade tonight. You yeah. know, he screamed at us last time. So I don't think they're too excited to see Rand and Matt. Not super fucking great, but that's that's essentially uh, the episode, I would say. Like that, we covered yeah, pretty I would much agree. pretty much all of it. All right, yeah, I agree. I think that pretty much wraps it up for episode three of the Wheel of Time. We are traveling in this episode. There's a lot going on. We end it with Moraine still sick, but at least she's with the Aes Sedai now. We'll get to see. Maybe some more of Loghain next episode. We'll see what Rand and Matt are doing with Tom as they're fleeing the Fade. And we'll see how Perrin and Egwene deal with traveling with the Tuathon. Episode 4 will be out tomorrow, so if you're excited, get ready for that. It's called The Dragon Reborn. We'll have to see what happens. So if you're excited, follow us on Twitter. We're at Talk. Email us at goblintalk at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, your theories on the show. If you liked it, if you thought the show did it well, do you also hate Tom the Gleeman? This is a perpetual question for everyone, of course. As always, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. We can't wait. We're getting through the show, and then we will get through book two. So keep an eye out for that as well. Goblins out. Goblins out.